Good evening, Gremlins. It's me, uh, here to talk about some spoopy movies again. Um, I hope you guys are doing well. Times are still tough. I hope you are, you know, planning on voting, planning on getting other people to vote, um, doing some other civic duties like mailing things. That apparently helps. You could, um... You could yell at a congressperson on Twitter. I think a lot of people are doing that. That seems to be working. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you could also help me personally. Great takeaway, Josh. Thank you, Josh. Um, by, <laughs> I'm so desperate for love and attention. Please follow me on the social media at Joshua Simon Says. And check out my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash gagpod. That's the name of the show, The Gag. Uh, that's, once again, www.patreon.com slash gagpod. I really shouldn't record these at 5 p.m. on a Wednesday. Someone should stop me from doing this. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode with Rebecca Kaplan, the very, very, very funny Rebecca Kaplan. Um, we talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo from 1958. Um... A classic. You know I love my trash, but today it's... T t wow, that's way too many T's. Um, today, it's time to gag on yet another classic, which I also love. So please enjoy my episode with Rebecca Kaplan on Vertigo. Everybody and welcome to <laughs> the gag, a spookcast where I, Joshua Simon, a gay anxious gremlin and the only Jew ever hired full time by the Keebler Company to be a full time elf, talks about queer things and horror things and queer horror things, such as a pair of short haired lady zombies who bond over a nice cup of coffee and some brain sorbet, and then by the next day they're roommates because that's how lesbian zombies work. Um, <laughs> I make those up on the spot and they are of differing qualities every time. <laughs> My super special guest today is a comedian, the host of the Glass Houses comedy show. That's every Tuesday, correct? Yep. And the uh, star of the web series, Love at First Skype. You know her, you love her, and if you don't, you're about to. It is Rebecca T. Kaplan. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being on here. Um, you are also the inventor of awkward girl comedy, correct? Uh, definitely me and not Zoe Deschanel or anyone else. Certainly not. I've never even heard of her. Um, <laughs> I love I love that's your bio, especially right now, because one of the things I love about your comedy is that it stands in direct defiance of the bro club of comedy that 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 stand-up has been defined by for so long and you of course know why that's happening right now um because you've been on the internet <laughs> right yeah it's it's terrible men are men are our trash I don't know. men are super trash i i remember one video you posted of that was just you walking to the stage and somebody <laughs> did somebody just reach out and decide they could touch you did that actually happen wait what no uh i, I just could have sworn I saw a video where you were walking to the stage and somebody 
did something to you as you were walking up there? Oh, I think he was shaking, he was shaking my hand. Oh my gosh. Okay, well then that rumor is quashed officially. Uh, <laughs> but yes. of course you've had to deal with a lot of sexist culture in the comedy scene. Has moving comedy to Zoom, which you've done with uh, your weekly comedy show, has that been helpful uh, in, in unpacking and, and removing some of that toxicity? Um, you know, the one good thing about Zoom comedy is that I'm not, like, afraid that somebody's going to, like, murder me right <laughs> after the show. <laughs> but you I am... Joke. I don't like bang, bang, bang. Yeah, I'm, like, slightly more worried, though, that they will, like, research me online and then, like, hunt me down and murder me. Yeah, the internet sleuths are, are sometimes, they feel more dangerous than the ones who are right there. Because, especially in public, not that I remember what that is like, but it yeah. seems like you, there is more of a sense of safety. But I could be completely ignoring the fact that women are always kind of on guard at these types of places. Yeah, you know, I've never been groped on a Zoom show yet. That's, yeah, no, that's, that's a great to know because I don't know do you live with people would it be like oh someone has broken in <laughs> someone has actually done the research uh oh boy I live I am uh, presently living with my family so that would be creepy oh okay then <laughs> I hope you don't get groped over zoom or ever because you know that's kind of not well that's not true I hope you get groped consensually at some point because um everyone misses sex a lot <laughs> Yeah, the consent is important. But the consent is very important. And I think that is what Zoom has taught us. Um, I mean, speaking of consent and, and weird dynamics, the movie we're talking about today has some crazy weird man-woman dynamics that I, I can't wait to talk about. Um, we are talking about Vertigo, ladies and everyone else. Um, 1958, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And... Before we get into the movie, may I ask you, uh, Rebecca, what turned you gay this week? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm enjoying the comedy of Ashley Gavin. She's super, <sighs> super funny. I love Ashley Gavin. <laughs> she is very, very funny and very, very gay. So it's good that you're gaying down on some, on some gay old comedy. Do you mind me asking how long you've been doing comedy? Uh, yeah, I've been doing stand-up like probably about like three or four years now. Cool, cool. Um, what, and, and I'm interested to know this, of course, because I don't really know the, the world very well. Um, what is like the first year of stand-up comedy you, like for you, or what was it like for you? Um, it was mostly just me like finding online, uh, open mics like online mm -hmm. and showing up and being really nervous and then getting there. And it was like a room of like 20, like, almost teenage boys, not te like, you know, just very yeah. young men who uh, completely ignored me except to uh, personally address rape jokes at me while on stage. Wow, sounds real fun. Yeah. Um, and then I stopped going for a while because I was like, this sucks. Mm. But, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, it's real weird. Like, I was like, going to this like one open mic near my house pretty regularly and then this like guy um 
you know, started talking to me and he, at some point he was like, so do you have a boyfriend? And I was like, yes, yes, I do have a boyfriend. And then he like unfriended me on Facebook and like just started ignoring me. I was like, I think, I think I'm done with stand up for a while. Oh my God. The, the more I learn about comedy, the more I'm like, it is a miracle that any woman has, has, has stayed in it as long as they have. And there are, um, of course, too many to list. Are, do you have any specific influences of, of any stand-up comic? Uh, Women? Yeah. Men, neither? I mean, I really like uh, Rita Rudner, mm -hmm. Catherine O'Hara. Um, I was like a big SCTV fan. I know that's from the 80s, oh, great. so I should, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's from the 80s, it's more likely that kooky little reruns are floating around on YouTube that people can watch. I used to watch like episodes of The Young Ones, which was a surreal British comedy show with the guy from Drop Dead Fred, Rick Mayall. Um, and, you know, the most famous episode of, of How Did This Get Made Ever? Um, you know, name dropping way more popular podcasts like a, like a beast. Like I did with you earlier in the week when I called you Mark Maron. Uh, love, love Mark Maron's TV show. I, I love Mark Maron too, but what I loved the most was when I posted just a weird, dumb, little, obviously fake joke, there were those people who just came out, you know, the reply guys, I've heard them, be, I've heard that's what they're called, just come out of the word book to be like, you know, Rebecca, I, I think that you're actually like really funny and you should totally do a podcast and you have to be like, I have one. <laughs> Thank you fair, for rescuing me. <laughs> to be fair, my podcast probably sort of sucks. Uh, is your podcast called Learn a, or Teach Me a Skill? Right. And it's literally you teach people or people teach you things? Exactly. And I have no idea if it's interesting for the watcher at all. I just know that I'm having fun doing it. That is the only thing keeping me doing this because yeah. I love talking to comedians. I love talking to artists and I love talking about forcing them to talk about my favorite subjects, which is... Yeah trash and horror films and I think people are losing a lot of that right now which is it is okay to still have hobbies and still pursue enjoyments that aren't necessarily uh, going to yield returns because very few things are going to yield returns for the very for, for the indefinite future of course. Right and I think if you do anything it has to be for your own enjoyment. Yes. Because like the, in, in like comedy or any creative field, the like returns are so like nebulous and like uh, far off in the future. Truly, the joy has to be in the work. Right. Um, and like, you know, I think there are like aspects to stuff that you like don't enjoy, but like you have to like enjoy some aspect of like the process or something about it. Exactly. And I think that answers what I was musing about, which is, which is like, you know, if comedy is so toxic to women, to people of color, to queer people, you know, why do people still do it? And it's because I don't know the reason, but there's a reason we need comedy. And for people who were in the margins before, you know, we stuck with it because we knew there was something in there for us, even if we had to eventually just accept that we were we couldn't really do it for anybody else but ourselves. We just had to do it. 
Right. I mean, I think like that's maybe one of the re- like if you look at like all of like the great like Broadway composers of like the forties mm. or like the sixties and earlier, like most of them were either gay or Jewish. So like marginalized like at the time. And like I don't know, I think like if you're the more marginalized you are, the more you like need art in your life. And yeah, you need an outlet. It's therapeutic. I mean yeah. most most comics use their stage time I mean correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of comics use their stage time for therapy, which, or at least partially for therapy, it's also good to actually go to therapy because you, using your art as therapy or your therapy as art is, is pretty, uh, it, can, it can get kind of dicey. <laughs> but I feel like sometimes a, a person gets on stage and just starts using the audience as their personal therapist. <laughs> yeah, I would prefer if less people did that but that's I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I would prefer if more people went to therapy, but knowing, you know, what's unavoidable to know in this country, which is that it should be provided at a reasonable and resourceful cost, but it right. is not. <laughs> and right. sliding scale therapy is great. It's a, it's a wonderful tool, but of course it, it has its limits. <laughs> For sure. And I don't know. I think, like, men, especially, like, especially straight men, like, tend not to have, like, outlets. Mm. Like, women, at least, and maybe gay men, too. I don't know. Sure, I don't wanna, why not? You know, you can, like, vent to friends, and I, I think straight men feel weirder about that. Yeah, like, straight men literally will tweet about, like, the most hilarious thing, and they'll be like, I shared an emotion with my buddy the other day. <laughs> And it was really sweet. Okay, guys? And then it gets 270 million retweets and likes. And you're like, ah, the bar is low. The bar is very low. Right. <laughs> and uh, could it be because of the most famous movies that uh, these men grew up watching? Is that a decent enough segue into Hitchcock? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what a creepy movie for, like, probably not the reasons that they thought it was creepy. True. And what fascinated me, I did, you know, just the cursory research on the wiki um, about this movie when it came out. And apparently it was not well received at all. Like it was kind of middlingly received because Hitchcock was well respected as a director by then. He hadn't yet made North by Northwest or Psycho or the thing or the birds or the things that people generally will be the first to associate with him other than this. But um, people were mixed on this movie. And a lot of the blame fell on the age difference between James Stewart, who was 49, and his leading lady, Kim Novak, who was 24. And that astounded me because that would never happen today. That age difference is nothing, especially in comedy. (laughs) 24 is way too old. Oh God. Oh boy. Um, I... I didn't really, like, her character in the movie is, like, 20, so it's to be 26, like, that's... Yes, yes. And his is, are they, do they establish how old? I mean... No. He's a former police detective, so I think he's supposed to be playing his age, because you don't just become a detective. That requires years and wearing the uniform and, you know, not being a dumb cop, which most are. I'm pretty sure in North by Northwest, Jimmy Stewart is, like, played across from, like, his mother, 
like the woman cast as his mother is like several years younger than he is. Yeah, and that movie was a year after this one, so he was 50. Yeah. (laughs) With his mom going, I love you, mommy, and she's like, I'm a child. Man, I don't know if you're like into musical theater, but like- Very much. I feel like Richard Rogers loved doing musicals where it was like a 50-something man paired with like a very, very young love interest. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with, uh, I do, I do love musical theater. I studied it and I've performed it a bunch. And my friends from my most recent musical are actually in like a weekly Zoom chat. And we were discussing Carousel and how crazy that story is. The way it's told is cuckoo bananas. And I've, I've just never been more wildly confused at a classic musical have you seen carousel i have not but like i don't know i saw like a staging of promises promises recently Mm -hmm. and it was like whoa like the like you know the female lead tries to kill herself in the first like 20 minutes (laughs) right yeah and it's and then they like turn it into like a cute like funny like love song and then she immediately loses her desire to kill herself and it's like oh my god it's wild that, that the meat cute of this classic musical is a woman commits suicide in a man's apartment or attempts suicide in a man's apartment. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, you're cute. I want to live. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, <laughs> movies, musicals, they are expedient stories, if nothing else. So some things just get skipped over. But it's wild that that's a, a classic example of a musical comedy. And it opens with a despondent suicide attempt. Yeah, so crazy. Um, this movie opens with a man becoming afraid of heights. Uh, you mentioned that you saw this movie at BAM. Is that is that true? Yeah. Or <laughs> is that true? Were you lying to me about this innocuous fact? Uh, probably either BAM or the film forum. Yes. Because now it's considered a classic. It was once considered this divisive film but after 10 decades of Citizen Kane being the most popular movie in this British poll only in 2012 was it replaced in the number one spot by this movie and the British Film Institute blames that on the added diversity of their polling body because of course it was mostly old straight white dudes from 19 clickety clack to 1962 or whenever and then when they finally started expanding the polling body, Citizen Kane went and Vertigo shot up to the top spot. I don't and really like Citizen Kane. I have never seen Citizen Kane, so. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little boring by today's standards. It's one of those movies that I will eventually watch. And the only reason I say that is because somebody said, well, you have to see Gone with the Wind. And I looked it up, saw that it was three and a half hours and went, okay, I never have to see Gone with the Wind. I know what it is. Do I need to spend the three and a half hours on it? Not a top priority. But Citizen Kane's a cute two hours long and I will give a movie two hours. <laughs> yeah. It's like got some good scenes. Did you watch The Irishman? No. It was three and a half hours long and I'm like, I get that I get that people will binge watch miniseries, but I'm not a binge watcher. And I'm just like, I can't watch 
Robert De Niro get aged by computers for three and a half hours and sit still. Yeah, that's too long. I, I mean, uh, again, another one of those movies that I'll see eventually. Do you love horror movies much or are you more of the kind of these classic thrillers like Vertigo type of fan? Um, I mean, I like, I've seen some like horror movies that I like, I wouldn't say I like go seek out like anything in the genre, but. Not a, not a big jump scare fan. Yeah, but I, you know, I've, I like the classic like Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. I, I was wondering why people were so divided on this film, calling it things like far-fetched nonsense. But then I read that a lot of people felt it was slow and that I, I do really understand. There are some sequences in this film that are just so long. Did you See, feel that way? Uh, the, the like pacing wasn't the problem for me. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like, you know, when I like, when I watched it for like the first time and maybe the only time I was like nine or something and I was like, mm -hmm. wow, this is amazing. But yeah. <laughs> as an adult, it's just sort of like, why did the husband go to such great lengths? Such great lengths. What a drama queen. <laughs> like if any part of like the plan had like fallen apart, like I don't. Also, the thing that they didn't explain that I want to know now is like, how did the husband and uh, the other woman get down from the bell tower? You know what? I have no, I, I don't know. Maybe they just napped there for like a full week. I, um, oh, I should probably get into some plot now that we've reached a certain point and our fans, because um, we both have tons and hundreds of fans, um, will want to either watch this movie so we don't spoil any more for them. Oh, oops, or, sorry. No, don't, don't worry about that at all. Uh, if you guys want to watch this film, like do it. Um, we'll discuss at the end of our convo, like whether or not, we would actually recommend it to watch again. I generally ask my guests, did you gag on this film happily or was it a bit of a rough gag? And then, you know, whether or not we'd watch it again. But honestly, one of the main things keeping me from watching this movie again is its plot and how many times I actually had to rewind a full 60 seconds or more to understand what was happening. <laughs> um, so essentially what people associate and all they need to know about this film is that James Stewart is a private investigator who has a fear of heights and is hired to spy on this man's wife because he believes that she has an unhealthy obsession with a dead woman. That is the beginning and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and as you said, so, so much more confusing. Like, I don't know, I feel like the plan the plan had many holes. The plan had many, many holes. <laughs> the plan could have been easily been much simpler and achieved the same result. Like how? <laughs> like he could have just divorced her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they never, they also never explain why he wanted to do the thing. I'll, I'll stop saying what the thing was in case of spoilers. Of course. Well, at this point, I think we can say now that he is doing this real convoluted scheme, basically to murder his wife, get her out of the way, and escape scot-free. So he uses James Stewart as something of this patsy, something of this unwilling participant, but you're right. The, the reason for the murder 
the secondary motivation is so inconsequential because the story is not about that. It's about James Stewart and his fear of heights, which is called acrophobia, not vertigo. Vertigo is the dizziness. I just wanted to bring that up because I don't know if this film would be as successful if it was called acrophobia. <laughs> the film might have uh, missed... I wonder if uh, psychologists are angry at this film for like conflating those two terms. I bet they're furious with Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> especially for Psycho. <laughs> One thing that I like about Vertigo when talking about this film with you is that it's not my usual fare, um, which is not a bad thing at all. I, I love trash. I love trash movies. I love exploitation films. The, the, the crazy choices that are made, the campiness is, uh, is what draws me to it. Um, but I love Hitchcock because of the immense amounts of coded queerness in almost all of his movies. Um, and that is, that, is not a, that is not a new musing. Like this has been written about ad nauseum. So I'm not, I don't think I'm saying anything new here that movies like Rebecca, or Psycho, or even The Birds in some instances, like the, have you seen The Birds? Yeah. The, like the relationship between the ex-girlfriend played by Suzanne Plachette and the lead character, Tippi Hedren, that relationship has been called like a vaguely lesbian relationship at times. There's the movie that he made, Rope, which is about Leopold and Loeb, who were believed to be a gay male serial killer couple. And having said that there is lots of coded queerness to his films, it's also quite obvious that it was a straight man delving into queer subjects because it's always otherized and that the queer is always the monster in these films. It's never quite as sympathetic until 1960s Psycho, I think, even though there's a lot of disagreement over whether that movie is or is not a good quote-unquote queer movie like a, a a helpful movie for queer people which is a weird thing to say because that doesn't exist <laughs> sorry rant over did um, you feel coded queerness in this movie in this movie specifically mm -hmm. i don't know i mean i guess the nuns i mean <laughs> there were not there were nuns in this movie and you know you know, nuns are super gay. Um, <laughs> have you, by any chance, watched a lot of Mel Brooks? Uh, I have, although I was a child and I can't recall them, probably. Oh, okay. Um, one of his films was a direct spoof of most Hitchcock movies called High Anxiety. And when I think about the people in, in comedy that I fell in love with, I always go back to like Madeline Kahn in those movies. And I don't know, I, I just love Hitchcock movies because they're so formulaic that brilliant comedians like, like Madeline Kahn can take them and turn them into such brilliant spoof-tastic art, which I love. <laughs> so Madeline highly Kahn recommend. Amazing. Madeline Kahn is honestly a legend. Um, she stays out of the conversation way too often when people are talking about funny women, and I don't know why. Two-time Oscar nominee, brilliant SNL host. Like, it, she's... It's, and have, have you heard uh, the soundtrack to On the 20th Century? 
No, I have, I have not, uh, but I do have a soundtrack of her playing the lead role in Anyone Can Whistle by Stephen Ooh, Sondheim. That's terrible musical, but she is great. I secretly love that musical and it's not a secret at all, but <laughs> it, is, it is a wacky musical and it does not work. Um, but as I, have, as I have expressed, I love things that don't quite work all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw a staged reading of that, and uh, man, does it ever not work, but... Ooh, they, they keep trying to do these staged readings of musicals that don't work, and I think that none of these musicals are going... None of these musicals that need to be kind of re in, reevaluated are going to work unless you fuck with the staging of it. That's what happened with the most recent Oklahoma revival. Um, that's what happened with a lot of revivals of classic musicals. I didn't like that Oklahoma, but... Some people hated it, yeah. <laughs> what, um, what did you feel about it? Um, I think they made it more sexist somehow. Like, they took a sexist <laughs> show and they somehow staged it more sexist. By just saying, like, pointing it out and, like, really uh, exaggerating it? I don't know if it was intentional. I mean, I feel like the... Um, they somehow made it seem like Lori was into being raped. Oh. I felt like... Okay. That's awkward. <laughs> I mean, did but you they, see it? I didn't, but I know that they won the woke point, highest woke point award of the year for casting somebody who uses a wheelchair, which is just a, a wild concept for everyone. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love Valley Graham. I like, love Valley Stroker so much. She's so talented. This is, yeah, of course, it's she's not the issue with that at all. <laughs> yeah, her, you know, she was great in in that. I just feel like the direction was terrible. Um, mm. Every, I don't know. I think that's a totally, totally valid uh, read of that musical because it's so old, and doing it in an unconventional way is going to be polarizing. I do remember though that there were these like reviews of it that that were very crotchety <laughs> like that like there were a lot of like old white guy ben brantley style reviews that were just like i don't like when they take the things i like and then make them for the kids and that oh. that was weird but i think your i think your way of framing it is much more understandable so my my criticism is that it had an all-male creative team Ah. And, like actually like the original Oklahoma like didn't have an all-male creative team like even in the 40s yeah, Agnes, like they had right? they, yeah Agnes uh like you or something uh, Agnes DeMille what yeah Agnes, Agnes, right, DeMille. Agnes DeMille thank you um it was sorry and uh you know they took away her choreography like the one thing that a woman contributed to Oklahoma and they replaced it with this that... totally pretentious awful dance choreographed by a man that is yucky yeah um, and, happy. you know, and I don't think you can have, like, a really, like, you know, I think it got fake woke points by being, like, a super pretentious all-male, and I believe all-white male, although I have to double-check that, uh, direction team. Don't uh, worry, the doxers will, will put it in their manifestos. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but, you know, I think if, like, they, if, uh, the, um, the theater company that produced that wanted to actually be woke, they could have maybe like hired a person of color to like write a new musical. Yes. New stories. New stories. Yeah. I love new stories. Even Hamilton, like that's one of the things that uh, that uh, 
uh, Suzanne Laurie Parks and Toni Morrison were saying about Hamilton, which is that it's still, um, it's still the narrative of these dead white guys. It's a wonderful show and it's great and all the things it did, but it, it still furthers narratives of people who've always had their narratives told. Right. Yeah, and you know, even Hamilton is better than the Oklahoma because it at least like, you know, I, I don't know. I think it it centered. I think it's that newer. centered. It's newer. It centered women and like people of color in a yes. way that Oklahoma think, just can't. Yeah, Oklahoma can't do it, no matter how how it's staged. Because it wasn't written. It it was written for a different time, and that's not a bad thing, I don't think. But you're right. It if you're going to re reexamine these, have uh, have people different than the ones who wrote it re-examine them. Right. That, and, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, like, I, sorry, I, like, um, they're, I love those staged reading series because they're, like, meant for, like, a very small audience of people that are dedicated yes. to musical True. theater who, like, understand, like, we're not, we're beyond this now, but this is, like, the, we're looking at it in the time that it was written in, and we're just going to watch it, and it's going to be a little bit fucked up, and like, yeah. that's okay. It, it's like the musical theater equivalent of, of a comedian trying new material, <laughs> or, or trying a new jokes, or maybe old jokes, but playing with the delivery, it seems kind of similar to that. Yeah. And are you a fan of Patty Harrison, by any chance? Uh, I don't know who that is. Uh, Patty Harrison is a trans comic um, who was recently on Z-Way's show, Baited which is an Instagram show. A lot of names to be dropping right now for a silly story, but just yesterday, um, somebody on Twitter posted like, trigger warning, transphobia and JK Rowling, and then proceeds to call out Patty Harrison, a trans stand-up comedian, for like, telling a joke about J.K. Rowling and saying something sarcastic like nobody listens to her or not enough people. And it's bad enough when a person on Twitter projects their narrative onto a joke told by a comedian, but it's so easy to just do the most limited amount of research into somebody's comedy before you try to cancel them. (laughs) So they didn't even look up who the person was or like listen to the clip? Well, it seems like they listened to the clip. Um, it it seems like it's a person who, you know, saw Patty on Shrill and just loves her, but doesn't actually follow Patty's comedy, which is much more surreal, sarcastic, and and it's just a a a simple a simple way of saying you could have looked, you could have been more sensitive to certain things and you're like leveraging your wokeness against somebody's artistic outlet and that's not that's not helpful yeah sorry it what we were saying about oklahoma for some reason was reminding me of of that and i no. honestly don't know why <laughs> no that's terrible i mean i hate people that like go out of their way to like attempt to cancel people for like no real reason mm-hmm. like i think um like, there are plenty Whatever. of good reasons, too. There's so many good reasons, too, that, like, and, like, I don't know. I think, like, there needs to be room for people to just be, like, okay, I was trying a joke. If you didn't understand it, I'm sorry. You didn't get what I was going for. Very much My that. bad. Yeah. I mean, um, Patty's response was just, oh, boy, the internet, because that's kind of what it's, 
come down to now that we are all living on the internet and so much comedy is decontextualized via the internet that it there's always going to be like a group of people who take it dead seriously right which is tantamount like completely opposite of what comedy is yeah it like this phase of like every like open mic and every like comedy show being broadcast on the internet makes me really like worried in right. some ways yeah it's one of the downsides because there you were mentioning a lot of the good upsides to zoom comedy and playing with a new format like that but yeah that is one of the possible uh, problems that needs to be faced with with that is the decontextualization the, the decontextualization of comedy yeah um i don't know i said a thing like last sunday on yeah. like a thing on facebook live that was like about me like wanting like coveting like a Jew a, a jewish a genetically <laughs> fucked up jewish baby and it's like i you know like i'm saying that in the context of like i you know like my grandparents had a child with down syndrome like right. i understand like i like i understand both sides of that <laughs> yes but like you know, I think I'm allowed to, like, make fun of that without, I mean, I don't know. Making fun of one of your own experiences. People people tend to project their own experiences onto yours when they're listening to a joke. And it's not something you can control, but unfortunately, a lot of people do it. Right. I think that they're just like, you can't say that. You, you can't say genetically fucked up. You can't say Jewish. Uh, are you even Jewish? What, what are you talking about? Whereas right. any Jewish person in comedy, which is all of them, would probably say something like, genetically fucked up Jewish baby, why did you uh, use a, a redundancy like that? Right. <laughs> We're all fucked up. Like, and of course that comes from, you know, that comes from like Jewish people, that comes from gay people, that comes from women, that comes from all these types of people who, who have been pushed to the side for one reason or the other saying, if I'm gonna survive this world, I, I better start making people laugh. Right. And I fear that we are, moving away from that somewhat just just on just on social media at least yeah i mean i guess luckily like the the attempts to cancel people for like ridiculous things seem not to be sticking fizzle out yeah <laughs> i wish that the ones that are actually serious would stick oh boy but... do i <laughs> so much attention is being given to surface details about comedy rather than the really uh, fucked up shit going underneath the surface. People are very unwilling to see below the surface uh, just because it's not convenient. It, it takes more work. It takes more energy to do that. And nobody has the attention span. Right. Speaking of attention spans, this was a long movie. Oh, oh yeah, Vertigo. <laughs> Vertigo. <laughs> Sorry, but thank you for unpacking that with me as a person who is very serious about comedy. Yeah. despite the contradiction that is it's interesting when the people who are professional comedians the people who do actually have to take being funny very seriously sometimes it's always interesting to to know what they think about the interesting uh yeah. landscape that comedy's in right now yeah but we can go back to vertigo i'd love to um this movie was eight years long and about 90 minutes through is when it shifts uh really like really quickly and at that point did it feel like to you james stewart just started emotionally torturing woman a woman for 15 minutes straight until she kissed him uh, yeah i mean 
it's really messed up that he thought he was doing that to a random stranger. It is, because after supposedly the death of, of Kim Novak's character, he starts seeing a woman who looks exactly like her, but she has brown hair. And of course it couldn't be the same woman because she has different hair, but um, <laughs> this movie is Attitudes on Women. Uh, but yeah, he just starts like stalking her. And it's like, did people not realize that at the time? Was that normal? It's also like, did he never see, like, you know, at most funerals, they have a photograph of the deceased. Yes. In the did newspaper. Did he not realize that they were two different people? You know what? Maybe he never reads the newspaper anymore because the paragraph jumps make his vertigo act up. Oh, boy. I, also, I did it. I, I how did, did it. I uncovered the mystery. I what? also want to know, like, how the husband, like, found Judy Barton. Like, did he place an ad, like, looking for doppelganger for my yes. wife for no weird for, reason? <laughs> Craigslist ad. Uh, do you look like my wife? Not for any weird reason. It's for sex. Um, like, he could have done that, you know, especially today. He would have gotten somebody because people are, like, not only really horny, but I've noticed that people are getting a lot hornier for serial killers on like Twitter and things like that. Like, ooh, Zac Efron is Ted Bundy. Let me like whip out the lotion. But like, and I used to think that was a phenomenon, but watching Vertigo, watching Hitchcock movies, it made me realize that Hitchcock is proof that um, society has kind of always been horny for serial killers and murder and shit, which is unfortunate. Is that a phenomenon that I'm not aware of? I just feel like, oh, sorry. Um, I knocked the table. I just feel like, there's a new documentary on Netflix every week about a horrific crime spree. We, and it's seven episodes long and we get to see like really disturbing photos. It used to be you had to like go to weird internet sites to look at such violent shit, but now it's quite obviously at our fingertips. And even as a fan of horror, that's a little um, just kind of jarring to, to witness. But it also feels like, mm, I remember Forensic Files and CSI. Maybe this has always been a thing. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe it's that we used to look at fake stuff like this, a, a, a fictional story. But now we're like, we're out of fictional stories. We need to look at the real ones. Because life is always going to be stranger. I think stranger than fiction. In Cold Blood might have been one of the first like popular true crime things. Yeah, was that the... 40s? Um, I think it came out in like 19, around 1951 or something, okay. or maybe like 1960. Cool. Yes, I've not, I've not read it, but yeah, you're right. I think there have always been kind of these cultural touchstones that proves humanity's interest in the fearful and the macabre things that, that a lot of us just will never quite understand yeah. the madness behind like why someone would want to kill their wife and go and like, but also why a man who sees a woman who looks like Carlotta Valdez or whatever would just start stalking her and then force her to change clothes and wear shoes and, and, and immediately negate everything she says and just keep doing this until he wears her down. It's quite astonishing. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point in the movie, he was supposed to be a little messed up in the head. Mm -hmm. But was he... Was he faking the, was he faking the magnitude of his 
delusions so that he could get a rise out of her. It seemed like that towards the very, very end when he was physically dragging her up the staircase. <laughs> like he was trying to scare her into admitting the truth, which is fucked up and manipulative. But was he actually going insane? I'm not sure. Um, I think in the beginning part when he thought he, she was the other person, he was insane because, like, they were well, trying to he must to have thought, like, oh, I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> right. They were trying to establish, I think, like, that he was seeing her everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was looking at other blonde ladies and other Having ladies. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then he, like, saw her who looked exactly like her, but with brown hair. And He's he, like, flowers. Flowers are like ladies. Ladies are like Jody, no, I don't know. <laughs> I love James Stewart's voice. <laughs> good, good impression. Thank you. I'm working on it. I'm gonna, you know, give it to Lauren when I meet him next. Um, <laughs> did you also notice when he was first, uh, when he was being duped and falling in love with the glamorous uh, Kim Novak woman, wife, lady, that? At one point, he just started talking to her and smushing his face into her face until she kissed him back. And I'm like, wow, this is an insane way to interact with another human. It was also insane that he, um, like, he saw her, she jumped into the river and, I guess, lost consciousness. And his instinct was to take her back to his apartment, undress her completely. And like put her in bed like what the were hospitals not a thing I... yeah or like he could i've never heard of an ambulance before in my life why couldn't he just drop her at her husband's place at the least yes he literally knows who her husband is <laughs> has his phone number i mean i like i think like uh from like reading other like works of the time, it was mm-hmm. like considered an okay thing to do. Yeah, I mean, people were way more trusting and kind of like, oh yeah, everyone is is just trying to take care of each other. There's no reason for us to think <laughs> otherwise, except then the rest of the movie happens. Right. It's also <laughs> like I don't know like why she like what a like what a plot for the plan like that she jumps into the river expecting him to be able to save her yeah like was she pretending not to be able to swim (laughs) maybe maybe in the ad gavin was like strong swimmer necessary (laughs) does own hair in spiral (laughs) like a weird the the spiral of her hair was a recurring motif like that and the, the flowers the colors the dolly shots this was actually the first movie to use those those zoom dolly shots. Interesting. I know, like, yeah, I could tell, like, I, as I was watching the opening sequence, uh, first of all, I was like, oh, right, Lady Gaga used this. <laughs> uh, True. Uh, and then I was like, I think this movie is a little too proud of itself for using, like, advanced techniques. I I see where, I see that, because I think this movie was really, like, trying a lot of new things. I think... Hitchcock, although he's now considered the, a classic, the master of suspense, all that, he was experimental and he would play with camera angles. He would play with color. Like he did this movie in full color and was using very bright colors. And then two years later, he filmed Psycho on a fraction of the budget in entirely black and white. So he was always like changing up what he did. But what is interesting about that to me is that all of these movies, Psycho, Vertigo, 
um, 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 North by Northwest are all in the Library of Congress as like culturally significant films. And they started collecting films in 1989. And Vertigo was one of the first films they selected. Like it was on the first list of five with like Citizen Kane and all that shit. And then Psycho and North by Northwest, which to me are better movies, were added later. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I do. I haven't seen Psycho actually, but I think North Bay Northwest is better. North Bay Northwest is a fantastic movie. And um, we're not like at the end, at the end, but since we're wrapping up, I, I should ask like North Bay Northwest is a movie I will watch again immediately. I love the way it's filmed. I love the way it's paced. This, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would watch it again um, unless I had a, a, another good reason to do so. Yeah, I mean, well, in full disclosure, I watched this in like 10 or 20 minute segments. Uh, I did <laughs> not sit down. Wait. Just to get a feel for it. I mean, I, I broke it up into, you know, segments as well. No worries. Uh, yeah, no, no, just because I like my attention. I mean, it was not very like, I don't know. Like I did see it in theaters like twice, I think, but no, that makes I, sense. I mean, everyone consumes things differently and, and you still, you know, it's still the same product, yeah. but the way we consume it also affects our experience of it. And that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I think Vertigo is like significant to the thriller genre. So it might be worth Absolutely. watching yeah. for that reason. And I think at least once, definitely. Yeah, but I think like once you know the surprise ending, it's not doesn't really hold up on rewatch. No, um, no, you're right, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna change any any um, waves for saying this classic movie, which is literally number one in in all these magazines, because two. Two, uh, two twenty-somethings don't like it. Um, I guess we have to cancel Alfred Hitchcock. Um, you know what, like, movie that's, like, slightly similar in, like, concept I, like, really enjoy is Charade. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have seen Charade, and I adore Charade because it's so kooky. Um, Audrey Hepburn is in that? Oh, I'm thinking of something else. You know, I don't know the name of the one I'm thinking of, but Peter Lawrence, or, like, Laurence Olivier was in it. Oh, um, who else? Um, you know, I'm just gonna very sure. quickly do the wiki. Google it. Uh, I can edit out the typing, and you can. It can sound like you had it on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> because magic. Uh, Have you seen the movie Charade, though? I did. It was like a murder mystery, right? Yes. Yeah, kind of a spy mystery, but also a comedy with um, Cary Grant. And Audrey Hepburn. That was that was good. It was good. I I would since you're more into the the suspense than the horror, I would highly recommend Charade as a party night movie. <laughs> yeah, I should rewatch that. Because it also has those weird moments that you're like, well, that wouldn't work today. What? Why did Walter Matthau say that about Audrey Hepburn's uh, figure? That's a very strange thing to say. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm gonna find what the movie I'm thinking of was. That's but totally fine. Once I decide what it is for you, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll ask my father what it is. Absolutely. It, it was just like a murder mystery that used like double casting as like the surprise, like ending sort of. 
like, oh, they were twins, or oh, they're they're the same person, or something like that. Yeah, I don't want to give away like what the double casting was because that's like the surprise element. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like well done. I mean, mistaken identity or double identity, um, multiple identity is often the. Not to say that Hitchcock wasn't making tons of different types of movies, but in a lot of his movies, those are the that's the twist, that's the the mystery is this identity mistaken or or otherwise, and then the way he unravels it is by having a man uh, emotionally manipulate a woman until she makes out with him. Right. I mean, if we're going for like a piece of entertainment that I enjoy more with like similar elements uh, is like on a clear day you can see forever. Oh, that's nice. I like that musical. Right. I mean, that's totally like a man abusing a woman until she does what he wants, but at least yeah. it's like kooky. <laughs> it is. Yes. Thank you. Bringing it back to the fact that if you're having a good time, if you're saying something, I mean, yes, it, it can be a lot of people want to jump to a whether or not we can accept the existence of certain movies or certain musicals, which I don't think is a helpful conversation, but conversations like these where we're like, that's kooky, that's interesting, and leave it at that because these movies can't be unmade or musicals unwritten, that it's fun to talk about. Yeah, I think like we should all just accept that stuff like Oklahoma and On a Clear Day You Can See Forever are a little messed up and that's what they were and whatever. And while it does mean you know we can revisit them it doesn't necessarily mean we should we have to make them work we have to make them work for today's audience because that feels pandering and a lot of audiences dumb as they are will see through pan- like straight up pandering yeah i don't think there's a way to make oklahoma work i mean it's true there was if a there gay- is we haven't found it yet <laughs> yeah i mean there's a gay oklahoma that i haven't seen but that sounds intriguing oh a very good friend of mine actually played Curly in that version of Oklahoma and was on the front page of the New York Times. Um, Tatiana Wexler is an amazing actress, if I can shout her out right quick. That version was done at, I believe, she'll send me a letter if I'm wrong, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is interesting that a Shakespeare theater is the one that's like, let's re-examine it because they've been doing that since the dawn of the, since the dawn of Queen Elizabeth. (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, and I've seen some good re-examined Shakespeare as well. I have too, although if I never have to see As You Like It ever again, (laughs) that's fine. I've probably seen that show more than any other show except for Sweeney Todd. (laughs) Sweeney Todd is great. It is. Um, Before we wrap up, there are two things I want to talk about. They're kind of related. Um, The first one is Midge. Oh man, what is up I with love that character? I, I don't know. And that actress, I love her. Um, she later became a well-known TV actress, Emmy-winning actress for TV shows like Dallas, the, the one about the oil baron family in Texas, and Barbara Bel Geddes. And she is, you know, a very talented actress. And I, I know there's a reason for her character's inclusion in the film as this like mousy sidekick girl. But as, as the current expert on awkward girl comedy, do you think that Midge, Midge was included as a kind of comedic tertiary character? Yeah, she was definitely some kind of weird comedic relief. Like, isn't it funny this like ugly woman with glasses has a crush on Jimmy <laughs> so Stewart? Pretty. 
Right. She's so pretty. And he even says, we were engaged. We could do it again. And she's like, mm-hmm, but I have glasses. <laughs> it's so weird. And she's drawing, she's literally drawing an, un, uh, um, uh, yeah. she's drawing a brassiere. She has one on the uh, mantle as they're talking. And that was probably something that had never been done before in the 50s and probably got a lot of angry phone calls or telegrams or whatever they had. But she was this lingerie artist for a magazine. She was his best friend. She was helping him get over his trauma. Like she is a great friend. He, he treats her horribly. The movie mishandles her. And I just want more justice for Midge. I just want to make a gif of her saying like Johnny O. Johnny O. Like she, it's so clear that they're connected. And, and I like to think that after the dumb shit he went through because of his naivete through the course of this film that he eventually realizes what he has right in front of him. But at the same time, I don't want her to have to deal with this dumb man all the time. She, yeah. She deserves someone better. He he should get therapy and she should marry someone awesome. Yes. Maybe she should marry He's, Kim Novak uh, after she's resurrected. I don't know. This is truly she should. Kim Novak is an interesting case because she's one of the best known examples of Hollywood just not letting a woman age um, because she recently appeared at the Academy Awards after being very reclusive for a long time. She's still alive. And immediately people started talking about how she looked, how much plastic surgery she got, why her face didn't look the same as it did when she was in vertigo. And it's like, cause it was 19 fucking 58. And yes, she has had plastic surgery. She lives in Hollywood. She immediately said, I regret coming out of hiding. Like immediately. And I, my heart just broke for this kind of treatment. Even even for women who appeared in culturally significant films like this, it blew my mind. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, plastic surgery, like, literally killed Joan Rivers. Like, I think... I think we I, need to let... Stop talking about it so much. Yeah. But we never will because Real Housewives is a thing. I don't know. I have a few gay friends and they seem to like it. I don't watch much Real Housewives. I don't like reality TV. <laughs> I don't even really know what it is. Not not a hundred percent sure of the concept. Have to admit. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think they're just fifty something women that get plastic surgery. Is that right? Yes, and then they drink wine and they talk about each other's plastic surgery, and they're like, "She got plastic surgery," and it's like, "Well, you got a nose job," and then they drink the wine, and then some of the wine actually ends up on the carpet, and then that's the end of the episode. That's a perfect uh, retelling. <laughs> that is that every I episode. <laughs> That is all I know about these shows, and that is all of them. And that's, as someone who literally grew up, spent part of my childhood in Potomac, which is where one of the series takes place. <laughs> all I can say about Potomac is that it reminded me that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, having enough money will make you an asshole. It will. It's a very diverse town, but it's a very rich town, and everyone there is an asshole with money. <laughs> Truth. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So unfortunately, Rebecca, we've come to what's basically the end of the road for for at least this discussion, but hopefully not more. Thank you so, so much for doing this. I had a great talk. Yeah, thank you for having me. Is there anything else about this movie that we didn't discuss? 
I think that pretty much covers it. It's kind of weird and messed up, but it is film filmically it, significant. It is very significant, and it's you know it's quirky. I mean, going back to that brazier, just because having never really experienced one, uh, they fascinate me. And she was talking about like how an architect designed it like this architect and that was apparently a reference to reclusive billionaire Howard Hughes um, who is rumored to have designed a new bra or a new brassiere based on architectural and aerodynamic physics and I'm like so he became a boob scientist that is so specific like a boob architect and I'm just amazed that that was going on in the 50s when showing a brassiere on camera was actually super not okay. But meanwhile, there were scientists literally going, let me feel your boobs. Um, yeah, I mean, the torpedo bras were like a big thing in like the 50s. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think the design that they had in this movie was, was it seems pretty normal now, but I think for the time, the brassiere that's in that movie was quite unusual in its bikini-like uh, uh, design because the torpedoes were pretty structurally sound and supportive, right? Um, yeah, but they, I think they had like a significant amount of padding to give mm -hmm. it uh, that weird shape. Like the appearance of, of larger boobies? Um, or just a, a different shape than breasts should normally be? Uh, like, you know, I think they, you know, they made breasts like have the shape like of a torpedo which I don't ah. you know I guess you don't handle that many but they that is not the natural I'm a sexy shape. submarine looking for a man <laughs> um, I will. yeah the, I the the bra in that movie looked incredibly uncomfortable but did it <laughs> I, I have no frame of reference yeah well it was just wires uh like oh, hard yeah. wires holding up you know do a lot of people still wear underwires? Not to the airport because they make the metal detectors go off, but if you need the support, are those still helpful? Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't worn a bra in months, but cool. same, same. people <laughs> with larger breasts do use underwire, but... Yes, I'll have to ask my friend Jay. She used to have some big titties. She no longer does, but you know her, uh, Jay Kingwack. Uh, shout out to my other horror movie bud. And... She and I and she recently had a, a a tweet joke or something about breast reduction. So of course I'll check with her before airing this this. But as a as a comedian, I'm sure she'll be like, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Also, I don't have I don't deal with that issue myself. So I don't mm -hmm. I'm not the right person to ask about you, bras. You can't speak to experiences you don't have, and neither of us do. So. But. All right. This has been absolutely wonderful. Where can people follow you and find you on the socials? Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rebecca T. Kaplan. Is the T always there? In when when you return to real life, will it stay there on the on the marquee? Uh, I mean, I my I go by Rebecca Kaplan on stage, but it's okay. too common for I didn't get the uh there handle. might be a few tax attorneys in Wisconsin named Rebecca Kaplan that's true yeah um but you know I mean maybe I will go by Rebecca T Kaplan if that maybe I, I, I go by Joshua Simon says both for my website and for my socials because 
simply because when I tried to get joshuasimon.com, it was owned by GoDaddy and they wanted to charge me like $170 for the domain. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I don't have DameMaggieSmith.com money. And until I do, I'm not paying you guys this ridiculous sum for my own name. Yeah. So I understand the T. <laughs> no, screw that. Uh, and as always, my lovely gay gremlins, you can follow me at Joshua Simon Says, and you can like and subscribe. You can leave me a good review. You can leave me a bad review. You can leave me a silly, scary, gay story. And I'm, I don't know, I'll probably read it on air if it's funny enough. And you can always follow Rebecca Kaplan. Um, please don't dox her and uh, 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 give her comedy notes because she doesn't need them. She's the inventor of an entirely new style of comedy called Awkward Girl Comedy that has been heretofore unknown among comedy because it was completely uh, populated by bald white men like me. <laughs> and I think that's about all I've got to say. So if you're gay and you're anxious and you're doing your best, I love you and I wish the best for you. Keep watching scary movies with me. And uh, Rebecca, you gonna help me say goodbye? Bye. Bye. Bye.